0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. And I want to just take a moment um, to kind of acknowledge something that might sound a little cliche, (laughs) and that is, uh, this is kind of the end of an era for our church, and um, an exciting one, but also one that we can look back Upon with thanksgiving and gratitude. So, um, before our service, I attended uh, First Christian service um, just to express our thanks, thankfulness to them for, um, yeah, just allowing us to, uh, to to rent from them, to um, borrow space from them over the last um, almost five years and. Um, just God's timing is really, really, uh, really neat. This is one of the things that I shared with them, that about five and a half years ago, we were informed that we were no longer going to be able to meet in the location we were meeting in. Um, from a timing perspective, we had been praying, well, does this, is this God's, is this the opportunity? Is this God pushing us out to um, um, step out in faith and, and purchase a facility? And that was very clearly not um, the right time. And then just um, a few short months after that, they reached out to us and, and expressed an interest in um, and letting us use their space. And so um, God's been really kind to us over the last um, last few years. And um, I'm excited for, for when we move into our new space. and um, by no means is this the finish line. this is really just the, the beginning. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to how God's going to be at work in our new space. And, and, and this morning, on our last Sunday here, I just wanted to take a moment to, to talk about the importance of gratitude, um, the importance of, of Thanksgiving. So, next week when we get into our new space, we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning a new sermon series on spiritual health, and we wanted to just um, start that fresh in our new facility. We'll, we'll look at six different questions that we can ask ourselves to diagnose, um, whether I am, um, I'm, I'm healthy spiritually, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that series. But this morning, as we stand um, last Sunday here, I'm about to go into our new space, I want to just talk a little bit. About what does it mean to be thankful? What does it mean to be grateful? And whether you've been here um, for the last five years, and this is, this is Crosswinds, whether you've been here longer, maybe you've only been here for a few months, I, I hope and pray that you can look back on however long you've been at Crosswinds and say, you know what, I'm thankful for that season because I can see how God has been at work in my life and how God has been at work in the lives of those who are around me uh, during that time. Now, as I've been considering the importance of thanksgiving and, and what exactly um, we, should, we should focus on from a text perspective this morning, I, my heart was instantly uh, drawn to one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 100. Uh, psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. That's very clear even just in the superscript or the description at the beginning. Um, verse zero is how it's oftentimes described. It simply says, this is a psalm for giving thanks. It's five verses about giving thanks. How do we give thanks to God? Um, and why should we give thanks? What are some ways that we can give thanks to God for His goodness to us? And yet, as I've been studying this psalm, one of the things that's been really unique as I've been um, poring over this psalm is that um, this psalm is not so much focused on giving thanks to God for certain things He has done for His people. There are other psalms that talk about that a lot. A lot of psalms say, thank you, God, for what you have done in, in this specific area, and, and it's a response to how God has been at work, and yet this psalm is not one of those psalms. This psalm primarily is focused on giving thanks to God, not for what He's done, but for who He is and, and what His character is like, what, what God Himself is actually like. All the things that God does are rooted in who He is, and, and this is what should motivate, motivate us to be thankful Christians. And this matters because when we look at our lives and we're going through um, good seasons, it's, it's really easy for us to give thanks. And yet when, when we're going through harder times, it can be harder for us to express thanks. And this text reminds us that even if you can't find something to be thankful to God for, we still worship a someone, a God, who is worthy of our gratitude. And that's what Psalm 100 declares very, very clearly, very loudly. We have a God who is worthy of our thanksgiving. And that's what I hope our takeaway is this morning. Very simple. It's just a command to gratitude that we would be a people who give thanks to our good and faithful God. That's the message of Psalm 100, give thanks to our good and faithful God. And we're gonna see that this psalm, it's only five verses long, but it is filled with commands. There's seven commands in these five verses about how we are to give thanks how we are to express our gratitude to the Lord. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to break this psalm into really two parts because that's, I think, how the psalm itself is broken down. First, there's this description of how we are to give thanks, and we're just going to look at that under the, the word thankful, that we are to be thankful. How do we express our thanksgiving, our gratitude to God? And then second, worthy. That God is worthy of our gratitude. And and so we'll consider just briefly, even as this text does, what we have to be thankful for when it comes to our God. Now, before we jump into this psalm, I want to just take a, a moment to consider how exactly do we understand a psalm? How do we interpret a psalm? How do we read these types of of, of chapters in the Bible. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 different songs that are given to us. That are it's really the, the hymn book or the song book of the, the church. And, and it's all about God's goodness and gives us it gives us the words to praise God in, in really good times and really hard times in, in every situation. We find those kind of things in the Psalms. And yet, most of the time when we're reading the Psalms, we can look at these songs in isolation. We can kind of see it like a newspaper that's got different stories, different articles that, that aren't really connected all that much, and uh, there's not really all this, this connective tissue. And, and, and it's true in one sense that these psalms are, are individual psalms. And yet, we should always try to consider how are these psalms fitting together, How are they connected to one another? And so when we look at Psalm 100, if we were reading Psalm 100 in context and in the the progression of the Psalms, we would notice that Psalm 100 is in book four of the Psalms. There's five books, five collections of Psalms in the book of Psalms. And we'll also notice that there's a number of parallels between Psalm 100 and what comes just a couple chapters earlier, Psalm 95. And the the parallels are so so extreme, so, so great, that it can't be a coincidence. Both of these psalms are talking about the exact same thing. What's more, after you get to Psalm 95, what comes next? It's 96, and then 97, 98, 99. And that chunk of psalms right there, 96 through 99, all talk about the kingship of God, that the, the Lord is the king of all creation. And so we're finding ourselves in the midst of this chunk of psalms that are talking about how good and how great this God is, who is the king of all creation. And while the word king... This talk about the royalty, the kingship of God is not explicitly mentioned in our psalm. If we're reading this psalm in the context of the psalms, we'll see that this psalm in one way is giving thanks to, is expressing gratitude to God for the fact that he is a good king. Now, there's something else that's worth noting as we look at Psalm 100. I mentioned that Psalm 100 contains seven different commands. It's actually found in the first four verses. There's these seven different commands or imperatives on how to give thanks. Now, our English Bibles, and really just the English language, doesn't give us a good way of making a command plural. So, if you were, for example, to come to our house um, one night and join us for supper, and you heard me say, eat your food, finish your food, you would not know if I was talking to all my children or just one of them without the context of looking at their plates, right? You'd have to have context there to understand: Am I talking to multiple people, giving a command to multiple people, or just to one person? Now, the book of—excuse uh, me—the Hebrew language and, and the book of Psalms, because it was written in Hebrew, doesn't have that problem. The imperative in Hebrew can either be singular or it can be plural. And what we see as we look at all of these commands is that all of these commands are in the plural. Every single one of them, if we were to translate them more accurately, but a little more woodenly, would be you all give thanks. You all make a joyful noise. You all serve the Lord with gladness. Those kind of things. All of these commands are for the, the church as a whole. It's for Christians living life in community with one another. Now, all of these commands could be and should be practiced for each of us as individuals. Yes, we should serve the Lord with gladness as individuals. We should bless the, the name of the Lord as individuals. And yet, God's purposes from before the foundation of the world are to ransom a, not a group of individuals for himself, but a people. For himself, a corporate body. And so, as we read this psalm, we should consider what our corporate responsibility is, what our responsibility for giving thanks is when we look at those who are surrounding us, those people that we are sitting in front of, or behind, or right next to. How do we give thanks? How do we express our gratitude in the midst of the body of Christ? Now, as a part of that, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we look at this text. I mentioned that this text is, um, it's only a few verses uh, long, and so what we're going to do is we're actually going to stand as we look at this passage, and we're going to read this passage together as a reminder to not only ourselves, but to one another of the corporate dimension of giving thanks. And so, as we approach Psalm 100, I invite you to stand, we're going to put the words up on the screen, and invite you to read with me these words. It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, And the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, we are um, so thankful That you are God, and that you are a God who is worthy of our thanksgiving. And this morning, we ask that you would help us to do just that. We first just want to say thank you for all that you've done, but especially for who you are. We ask that you would turn our hearts toward glad gratitude, and we ask for your help in this matter. Help us, Lord, for your sake and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I mentioned that this text breaks into two parts, thankful and then worthy. We'll go ahead and look at thankful first. That's what we see in the first four verses here. They express how we should express our gratitude to God, how we should express thanksgiving to God. And we'll get to the reason for our gratitude in a bit. That's what we see in verse 5. But first, we're given seven commands on how to express our gratitude. Now, before we jump into that, again, reminder, this is a song This is poetry here. And so these seven commands, they're not comprehensive. They're not saying these are the only ways for you to express gratitude to God. They're not necessarily distinct either. You look at this text, and if if you're trying to take this too literally, some of these commands, you're like, well, what's the difference between this one and this one? And some of these commands, they just intensify one another rather than describing different things. So you look at this text and you see, well, it says, come into his presence with singing in verse 2, and then it says in, in verse 4, enter his, his courts with praise. What's, what's the difference there? And, and really, it's, it's not describing something necessarily different. It's just giving you a different picture, a different view of the exact same thing. So let me give you an example. Uh, Crystal and I, we love hiking when we have the opportunity to do so. A couple years ago, we were down um, near the Grand, well, not near the Grand Canyon, we were at the Grand Canyon. We were doing some hiking along the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, and on that trail that we found ourselves on, every few hundred feet, um, we were cover, it was covered in, in, in trees, um, and we'd get into a clearing, and we'd see the same view, but it would be drastically different than what we had seen just a couple hundred feet earlier in the last clearing. And we continue going, we go another couple hundred feet um, or to the next clearing, and we'd see, again, the same thing, but we had a different perspective, a different picture of what we were viewing. And that's, I think, what these commands are describing to us. In these first four verses, it's describing different facets of thanksgiving that give us collectively, it gives us a better picture of this idea of expressing gratitude to God for who He is. Now, if you have Psalm 100 open before you, you'll notice the central location of verse 3. Verse 3 is not just centrally located in the psalm. uh, literally, but it's also thematically the most important part of this psalm. There's three commands leading up to verse 3. So we see make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, and come into his presence. That's the first three. And then after verse 3, you have another three commands. Enter his gates, give thanks, and bless. So structurally, verse 3 plays a very important role in how we express gratitude. But we'll get to that in a moment. First notice verses 1 and 2. I'm considering verses 1 and 2 as glad gratitude, just based off of the context here of Psalm 100. Notice what the psalmist says, starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So the heart of these commands here, these three commands, is to express to God our thanksgiving but not just to do it because we're required to do so, but to do it with gladness. In other words, our gratitude should engage our hearts. Gratitude should come as an overflow of our hearts. It's not a lifeless ritual, but it should be something that is rooted in our wonder of who God is. Gratitude comes from an overflow of a glad heart. And that's certainly what we see when we consider the psalmist's words here in verses 1 and 2, when we're called to make a joyful noise all the earth. And and a lot of times this command is used to excuse off-key singing. And I'm okay with that, because it's not saying make a joyful noise those of you who can carry a tune. It's make make a joyful noise, all the earth. Everyone is required to make a joyful noise to the earth. And yet, when we say that tongue-in-cheek, sometimes we can miss the points of what the psalmist is actually trying to say, the heart of this command. This idea of making a joyful noise literally is just the word shout, It's it's this call for the people of God, and not just the people of God, but all the nations to shout, to to cry out to the Lord. This was a term that was oftentimes used in battle to describe a victory cry. This was oftentimes used in the coronation of a king as the people would fall down and praise the new king. And as we consider that context, as we get into Psalm 100, especially what we've seen, again, this is the, the bookend of this section about the kingship of God, we see that one of the ways that we express our gratitude to God is to acknowledge who he truly is, to acknowledge that he is the king. He's not just this, the king of this congregation. He's not just the king of, of all Christians on the face of the earth. He's the king of the entire cosmos. And as the king of the entire universe, he deserves the allegiance of all, including those who want nothing to do with him. Now, this glad gratitude is not just expressed with our lips, though it must be expressed with our lips. It's a command. It is also expressed through action. That's the heart of the second command, what we see at the beginning of verse 2, to serve the Lord with gladness. Have you ever considered that one of the ways you say thank you to God is by serving Him in the midst of other believers? That if you are serving God, that is a sign of gratitude to God. And this makes a whole lot of sense when you consider just the idea of of service in the Bible. In the Bible, you look at the word service and and the word worship, and they're so closely tied together in the Old Testament that they're synonyms. You serve the Lord, you worship the Lord. Those are the, the, they're essentially synonyms in the Old Testament. You look at the New Testament, it's similar. You look at Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 begins with this famous command from Paul, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice what Paul says here in this text. Spiritual worship is in the light of the mercy of God, or in other words, because of or in response to the mercy of God, an expression of gratitude to God for his mercy, spiritual worship is to offer up your entire life to God. That nothing is off limits for this God. And then you keep reading Romans 12. You don't just stop at verse 2. You keep reading Romans 12, and you get to verses 3 through 7, and you realize what Paul is saying. In verses 3 through 7, Paul talks about serving one another with your gifts in the church. And, and he's saying, you know, this is part of worship, that this is how you worship God, this is how you express gratitude to God for His, his abundant mercies that He has shown to you, as you serve one another. And this must be done with gladness. That this isn't compulsory. And this is, what makes gla- this is what makes service an actual expression of gratitude. If you don't have gladness, then service is just a ritual. It isn't an expression of thanksgiving to God for what he has done for you. God calls us to be a people who express our gladness, not just with our words, but also with our actions in the midst of the congregation of God's people. Notice there's a third command here. Third command gets back to this idea of expressing gratitude with our words. It says, come into his presence with singing. It's, it's probably a very similar meaning here to this idea of a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, but just, again, like the, the different scenes or the different views of the Grand Canyon give us a bigger picture of the same thing, this is giving us a different view, but a bigger and better picture when taken together of what it means to express gladness, gladness to God. We are supposed to, notice, do this together. We've talked about this already, but when it says come into his presence, it's assumed in the Old Testament this is a reference to coming into the temple. And it's, it's assumed that we're doing this with other believers as well. You look at the Old Testament, and you look in, at, at all the songs that are sung in the Old Testament to God, all the songs that specifically are focusing on gratitude, and there might be a couple that are sung by just one person while they're alone. I think of, of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah 2, he's, he's by himself. He expressed thanksgiving to God for his specific circumstances. But the vast majority of songs in the Bible that talk about gratitude and thanksgiving to God are meant to be done with other people in the congregation of other people people. In essence, what this command to to come into his presence with singing is saying is God God wants us to express our gratitude to him with other people, to gather with the people of God in worship because this is one of the ways that we say thank you to who God is in our lives. And that same sentiment is expressed in verse 4. Verse 4, so similar to verses 1 and 2, it serves the same purpose. It's, it's about how we express glad gratitude. Consider verse 4. Verse 4, notice the, the similarities with the three commands of verse 1 and verse 2. It says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. So there are the three commands. Enter, give thanks, and bless. At the heart of each of these three commands is a different glimpse of the same thing. There's this emphasis on expressing gratitude to God through our worship, but not just through our worship, our worship with other people. In other words, it's a good thing for us to express gratitude to God on our own. We should be doing that. We should be expressing thanksgiving to God in our personal prayer, in our personal Bible reading. It's a good thing to express gratitude to God while you are at home and you're singing a song. But if those are the only times that we are expressing gratitude to God on a regular basis, then we're settling for second best. Glad gratitude is meant to be communal. Now, if you're like me, you've likely experienced times in your life where this idea of of expressing gratitude with gladness is, is second nature. It comes easily because you're exceedingly glad for all that God has done, but also for the truths of who God is. And really, you don't need a command to say, express your, your gratitude with gladness, because it's second nature. It's, it's, you can't help it. It's just the overflow of your heart. And yet, there are other times where the idea of being glad is so far away that it seems impossible to even fathom how you can get from here all the way to there. And I look at these commands, and as I look at them, sometimes I'm left troubled. I can serve the Lord, I can come into his presence with singing, I can give thanks, I can bless the name of the Lord. I can do all those things regardless of whether my heart is glad or joyful or not. But how do I get a joyless heart to cry for joy, to make a joyful noise? How do I get a gladless heart to come before the Lord in gladness? How do we do this? Well, in providence, that's why God has given us verse 3. Verse 3, notice this. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. If the rest of what we've looked at so far here in this psalm is this gratitude that's the overflow of the heart, here in verse 3 we see gratitude that is the overflow of the head. It is an expression of gratitude to a God who is worthy of thanksgiving by pursuing Him, by seeking to know Him, to chase after Him, to seek a, different, a deeper knowledge of Him to have a greater intimacy with him. And of course, this is not just an academic exercise. When we consider the what, so to speak, of what we are to know, what it means to to know the Lord, we see the emphasis is incredibly relational here. The declaration that we see in verse three that it is he who made us is not referring primarily to creation, even though that's true. God did make every single one of us. In the context, it's referring to new creation. It's, it's this work of God in creating a new covenant people, a new people who are his, a remnant. And it seems to be that the psalmist is he, he's expressing two things here. First, he's saying one of the ways that you express your gratitude to God is by seeking to know him more. And again, this this makes a whole lot of sense because in any relationship, one of the ways that you express gratitude to the other party is to do the things that that other party wants, what they desire. And when it comes to God, one of his greatest desires is for his people to know him. And so it makes sense that when we seek to know God, we are aligned with the very heart of God and therefore we are expressing our gratitude to God when we seek to know him. Notice also, however, that this this verse is doing something else. This act of knowing God serves, I think, as the catalyst for growing in gladness when it comes to our gratitude. That the more that we know God, the more that we consider what God has done in order to bring us into relationship with Him, the more that we dwell on the unfathomable truths of the gospel, the more that we are watering the soil of our hearts from which glad, gladness will grow when it comes to our gratitude. Now, two caveats here. I think it's worth defining what we mean by gladness because this looks very different for different people. This isn't just a form of emotionalism, though it does engage our emotions. The idea of being glad is something that comes from the heart, it's a heart that's stirred. But it's not a heart that's just stirred by anything. It's a heart that's specifically stirred by the revelation of who God is in the Scriptures. It is well known in my family that I am a crier when it comes to reading the Bible. So just the other day, one of my kids asked me, Dad, why are you crying? And Crystal said, Kids, you should know by now that Dad cries when he reads the Bible. That's one of the ways that I experience gladness when it comes to God revealing Himself in the scriptures. That I'm just overwhelmed, moved to tears, and and the unfathomable truths of, of who God is in the Bible. And yet, is that what gladness means? Well, not necessarily. That's the way God has wired me, and that's the way God has, has shaped me. That's my specific temperament of what gladness looks like, what joy looks like. It's going to look different for each and every one of us. Gladness for me is going to look different than it's going to look for you. At the same time, I do want to stress that the root source of gladness, according to Psalm 100, is to know the Lord. It's to, to See him as revealed in the scriptures. It's not emotionalism, it's the revelation of God that he's given to us in the scriptures. Glad gratitude means that whatever it looks like for you means that we marvel at the goodness of God. And that goodness is revealed primarily in his word. But the specifics of what that looks like, of how it is expressed in your life, Going to look different from person to person. One other caveat this is not formulaic. Sometimes you may seek to to know God in His Word and still may not experience gladness and faith. Sometimes we go through dry spells. Sometimes God even withholds His, His felt presence, not His true presence, His felt presence from His people. The Puritans, several centuries ago, referred to that as God's desertions. Just because we don't feel gladness doesn't mean that God's presence isn't with us. One Puritan reminds us, he says this, the Christian must trust in a withdrawing God. That sometime in God's perfect providence, His His plan, you will go through seasons where you can't feel his presence, where, where gladness is hard to come by. That doesn't mean God isn't with you, but it's a calling for us to continue to seek him and to trust him in the midst of those times. More than a form, more than a feeling, glad gratitude is a recognition of the goodness of this God. And that's actually what the psalm ends with. Verse 5 If you commit to to know the Lord, know that he is God, as verse 3 tells us, when you get to verse 5, you're going to encounter a God who is exceedingly worthy of our thanksgiving, exceedingly worthy of our gratitude. And this God is worthy of those things, not just because of what he has done, even though that's true, but because of who he is. And that's the testimony again in verse 5, that he is worthy. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Notice the three ways the Psalmist describes the Lord here in this verse. First, he, he describes the Lord as good. Why is God worthy of our thanksgiving? It's it's because he's he's good. In his very nature, God is good. He is fully and utterly committed to doing good. Every decision he makes, no matter how perplexing it may be to you and to me, you can rest assured you never have to doubt that God is good and that everything he does is rooted in his goodness. And that goodness is, is further expressed in the next, next declaration here. His steadfast love endures forever. This phrase steadfast love is a significant one because it's tied to the idea of covenant, this, this unbreakable relationship from God with humanity, this unbreakable promise that God has made to humanity at the cross with Jesus. It's a commitment for God to act in a certain way because of that covenant. So when the psalmist says that God's steadfast love endures forever. He's saying that God's commitment to his people is unfailing. That it will never run out. It will never run dry. We never have to wonder if God is going to change his mind or if he's going to change the way that he deals with his people. In fact, the cross, again, assures us that God will not change how he deals with his people. Third phrase, his faithfulness to all generations, closely related to to that, this idea of steadfast love. God's commitment to his people is unwavering. He is completely faithful. He is completely trustworthy. The promises of the gospel that were made thousands of years ago, in the first century, those same promises are available to you all these generations later. And the promises of the gospel will be there for your children and for your grandchildren, and on and on and on until the Lord sees fit to return. The faithfulness of the Lord endures for all generations. No wonder this psalm declares that our God, who is good, is worthy of our thanksgiving. A God who never changes his mind, who is perfectly good, who is utterly committed to his people, this God who remains faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness, that we're never left wondering, did God really mean that? Will God change his mind? Can God really be trusted? The testimony of the Bible tells us that this God is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever, that he is good, It's bound up in the very nature of who God is. It's on display in the book of Exodus, and I kind of just want to close with this. In the book of Exodus, Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he asks God this in Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So Moses here, he's, he's asking God, hey, you know, you've asked me to do all this. You've asked me to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. You've asked me to step out in faith here. But, but who are you, God? Who are you really? Like, what's, what's the heart of your character? the center of, of who you are. I know you a little. How, how can I describe you to the people that you have called me to lead? Notice how God responds a few verses later. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is an astounding moment because God decides to come down to Moses and he declares, this is who I am. This is, this is the core of who I am. And how does he describe his, his character? He says, I'm merciful and I'm gracious and I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's what we see here in Psalm 100. That this God is overflowing with faithfulness. That other people will fail you, but this God never will. Because he is utterly committed to his people. No wonder this God is worthy of our thanksgiving. When we began this morning, I said this is quite the moment for our congregation because it's the end of one era and it's the beginning of a new one. And we have much to be thankful for for the last several years, but above all, we have a God who is worthy of thanksgiving, not only or even primarily because of what he has done, but because of who he is. So let's be a people who give thanks to our good and faithful God because he's good, because he's faithful because he will never let us down. Even when our circumstances don't lead to thanksgiving, the character of God does. This is a God who is worthy of our thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we, we do indeed give thanks. Because you are good. In spite of all the ways that we are not good, you remain good. That you remain committed to your people. Thank you, God. Help us to be a people who continually and regularly give thanks to you because of your goodness. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.